the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. My co-host, Larry Dersham, and I have a great show for you today um, with a great guest that we're going to introduce shortly. But first, we always want to talk about headlines with a silver lining, but I almost want to say we might as well call the show Headlines You Can't Make Up because one of the things that we saw happen this week in terms of disagreements gone viral is we saw disagreements cross a boundary that we normally don't. And yes, we're talking about the circumstance where a, uh, let's just say, um, somebody that disagreed, a very vocal opponent of Senator Kristen Sinema's followed her into the bathroom. Now, Larry, the reason I want to talk about this a little bit is it is true that we have many disagreements and we have laws on the books that, you know, talk about where we should have safe spaces and where we should have a reasonable expectation of privacy. And, you know, constitutional lawyers can, you know, go all day talking about the different areas in which, you know, you should feel like you're entitled at least to a bit more privacy than maybe if you're in the middle of a shopping mall or in the middle of the street somewhere. So it gained some attention when a protester actually followed the senator into the bathroom and the whole thing went viral, was posted. You can hear toilets flushing and, and, and the like. I mean, should, the, and it is under investigation, so we don't exactly know where this is going to end up, but should the bathroom be someplace that we still maintain sort of a, a sense of, um, let's just say, believing it's a, a safe space, a personal space, someplace that people that don't like us can't follow us? Or are we just maybe living in the past thinking that there, there's still a boundary there that exists? And not according to Arizona Revised Statutes 13-3019, there is a law on the books about that, Wendy, about taking surreptitious photographing, videotaping, filming, or digitally recording or viewing people in the restroom. I mean, it's on the books, a law on the books. So, no, I don't think it's outdated at all. And when you think about it, uh, just with our phones, our smartphones, really we have high-tech intimidation. The problem, everybody today has a TV broadcast production studio in the palm of their hands with their smartphones. And this was totally misused. Now, uh, I don't know if I agree with Kristen Cinema on a lot of her policies, but on this, I am 100% behind her. Well, here's what's interesting about this story, Larry, which is why I like it as a, as a lawyer, and I know you do too as well. So we looked at that statute. We've analyzed the Arizona statute, and it wasn't surreptitious. So, I mean, it was very obvious. 
um, but it was without consent, which is something else that was covered in that statute. And it's something else that's covered in many statutes that just sort of describe when you would or wouldn't be trespassing, when you should or shouldn't have a reasonable expectation of privacy. You may remember we talked about um, upskirting laws years ago when there was that awful trend where you had people filming um, that was surreptitious, but you had people filming up, literally up skirts and in other places where you would have expectations of privacy, like changing rooms, locker rooms, et cetera. Uh, in general, though, the reason I think this story is, is of such interest to people, almost morbid curiosity to, to others, is do we want this to be OK? And, and that's really the one of the big arguments, because. The activist that followed Senator Cinema into the bathroom is alleging she's being tone pleased. You probably heard about that it was on, her, on her Facebook page. But is there a almost a sort of a court of public opinion law, regardless if we can fit whatever conduct into the Arizona law, that there really has to be some modicum of respect and privacy that we enjoy in, in society? in order to prevent incidents like this. I mean, you shudder to think of what else might accidentally have been captured on a video camera if you're filming in a private space. It's a class five felony under that statute. I cited up to 2.5 years in jail. Now, this is what gets me, Wendy. I think there is a double standard. I mean, if this was a, truthfully, um, a Republican, perhaps, a, you, know, you know, just reverse all the parties and so forth. I think that they would probably prosecute them. I'm not sure this young lady that did this filming is going to get prosecuted. And that is what's so upsetting to everybody. Laws should be enforced and they should be enforced evenly and justly. And if that doesn't happen, we got a two tier justice system and nobody wants that. And, you know, Wendy, they did this to uh, Senator Manchin. Also, he's another Democrat who's resisting going along with the $3.5 billion uh, infrastructure, human infrastructure package. And he was on his houseboat. I guess he has a houseboat. And people in kayaks came up and were harassing him on his houseboat. That's probably not his only home. But uh, so if they disagree with this, I call it left-wing agenda, uh, they are targeted and these are the tools of Saul Alinsky. We're going to do a program on Saul Alinsky. He's a hero of Barack Obama. He's a hero of um, Hillary Clinton and many others. His book, Rules for Radicals, and they are following these rules for radicals to the T. Yeah, and it's a larger issue. It's under investigation. We'll see what happens with that. But, you know, it, it kind of um, – I know you have some vaccine news you want to get to also – I, I do want to follow stories like this, not necessarily because we're going to see if it fits within certain jury instructions, but even if it doesn't, and even if there, and there are other issues with that case too, disrupting her class and, and coming onto campus. So there are a lot of moving parts to that particular story, but in general, you know, it's always interesting to follow individual fact patterns to see if maybe they generalize to the types of privacy. And I've, I've got to put that in quotes. Um, expectations that we enjoy when we're in public. Yes, it is true that even when we're in public, we have a different expectations as to who's going to breach those boundaries. Um, but vaccine news, Larry, we can hardly stay on top of this topic, can we? Right. We're actually going to ask our guests a little bit about this. So I don't want to go in too much detail that would cross over on what she'll be talking about. But it's just interesting. Uh, there was a book written back in 2018 by a Harvard 
professor. His name is Leonard Horowitz, and it's called Emerging Viruses, AIDS and Ebola, Nature, Accident, or Intentional. And he concluded that the AIDS and Ebola viruses evolved during a cancer virus experiments in which monkeys were infected with viral genes from other animals. Now, I'm not an expert in this field, but that book and his ideas on that have never been refuted. And then I wanted to bring into this, too. Everybody's talking about the Nuremberg Code in 1947. Well, there's a gentleman by the name of Francis Boyle. He's the framer of the Biological Weapons Anti-Terrorism Act of 1989, signed into law in 1990. Now, that's a federal law. And he, the gentleman that actually drafted that law, he says that he asserts that the Nuremberg Code of 1947 gives everyone the right to avoid the imposition of human experimentation, which includes, in his opinion, the right to refuse being forced to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, vaccine. And I just think that's interesting. So this debate is just raging right now. I mean, if anybody has listened to the radio or TV news, I mean, people being let go, uh, people in the hospital industry, in the police and fire industry uh, are being well, let go. It actually took a turn this week with the tra- the famous transplant case. So there was a yes. case, I think that everybody's heard of it by yes. now, at least a lot of people, of a woman uh, refused that you couldn't, she wasn't able to get the transplant um, of a kidney because she was unvaccinated. And um, that is a different analysis. So most of the cases that you and I discuss on the show have to do with employers, public spaces, and the fear is bringing COVID in and infecting other people. Well, if you have a negative test and you have a religious exemption or a medical exemption, if you've got that negative test, okay, you can prove you're not bringing COVID in. I mean, many people think that vaccinated individuals should also have negative tests because, of course, they can carry it as well. But this is a little different. The reason that the hospital uh, denied her the transplant is not because they thought she currently might have COVID, but because if she contracted COVID after receiving the new organ, that the complications might impact her chances of survival. And the way they defended themselves is, is interesting legally, heartbreaking practically. But legally, what they described is um, as a medical uh, procedure, they said they have to look at lots of different things before somebody accepts a transplant. For example, I mean, you, you may have to stop, stop smoking or drinking or taking certain types of medications, having certain vaccinations. So they lumped their rationale into that category. They basically said, we're not worried she's going to bring COVID into the hospital and infect the, the patients and the staff. We're worried that should she contract COVID after the transplant, it might cause a rejection. It might cause her not to survive. Um, In the same fashion, you might imagine if there were a lung transplant and then someone got COVID because they were unvaccinated, then they might have much more severe complications than if they were vaccinated, had the transplant, and then got COVID. It's a different rationale, Larry. It's still just as heartbreaking, though, isn't it? It is. Can I give a little bit of silver lining good news? Merck. Oh, my goodness, what a role <laughs> reversal. Okay, Merck, let's see what you got. Merck invented ivermectin, right? They invented it. Well, now they're, they're working on a pill, and it's called molnupiravir, molnupiravir. And it's a pill you can take in lieu of a vaccine. Now, again, I'm not anti-vaccine, but uh, some people are, and some people are just really concerned. So there's going to be a pill, people, that is going to be rolled out. You can take a pill instead of being jabbed. So I thought that was some yeah. encouraging news. No, for sure. And uh, we're going to have more very exciting news after the break. We need to take a short one. Please stick around for our next segment. 
You're going to meet a former U.S. Congresswoman and presidential candidate with an interesting perspective on what we, the people, must do to preserve our great country. So don't touch that dial. We will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. My co-host and I have a very special guest for you during the second half of the show, one that I think you're very much going to enjoy. Larry, who do we have on the line? Uh, sure, Wendy. But before I introduce our guests, I would like to remind everyone that George Washington, our first president, in his farewell address, warned that America's greatest threat would be internal rather than external military incursions. Our next guest is very familiar with these dangers and has devoted her life to an ensuring that our great nation continues as a beacon of hope and freedom to the world. Michelle Bachman was the first Republican woman from Minnesota elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. She served as a United States Congresswoman representing Minnesota's 6th District from 2007 to 2015, where she quickly became a national figure in the Republican Party and a founding member of the Congressional Tea Party Caucus. And then in 2011, she announced her bid for Republican presidential nomination, and she ran for president in 2012. Uh, Michelle Bachman is a highly respected leader who is deeply committed to conservative values in government. Michelle is currently dean of the Robinson School of Government at Regent University in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Thank you for joining us today, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to speaking with you today. Michelle, you have such an interesting past on every level. You know, I always like to start by asking something that many of our listeners, even if they recognize your name, might not really appreciate about your background. Now, I know you and your husband have five children of your own. Now, I would say that's a a challenge in and of itself. But I also know that in the 1990s, you worked, bless your heart, you worked with a private foster care agency to house 20 three children in your home. I cannot even fathom that. And I, you also somehow managed to have some modicum of work-life balance and still maintain your career. How in the world did you do that? <laughs> With a lot of prayer, I have to say. Uh, it was a calling. It was a calling that God put on our heart. We saw another couple at church that had a foster daughter. And as we were introduced to her, just immediately, both my husband and I, something happened in both of our hearts. And our heart was just broken for this teenage girl. And we looked at each other and we thought, you know, maybe we could do that. It was nothing that we ever anticipated. I was expecting our fourth child at the time, and I was going to be home full-time. I was going to uh, leave work and be home full-time. So we thought, you know, if I'm going to be home anyway, why don't we consider bringing foster children into our home? So yes, eventually we had a fifth baby born to us biologically, but over the course of years, we welcomed, we didn't have 23 kids all at once. We actually had four foster children at a time 
four teenage girls, and then we had our own biological children as well. So our census was nine children. There's a lot of people who have nine children, so it wasn't that unusual, but we were a very active home. We learned a lot about organizational skills and how to manage that many people, but also how to be human at the same time. We are not a perfect family, but we all learned a lot. Our biological children learned that they weren't the only people in the world. Our foster children learned the structure of a natural family, and my husband and I learned how to parent teenagers. So everyone benefited in the situation, and it was it was a lot of activity. It was high volume. There was very little leisure time, but it turned out to be a great experience for my husband and I, for the foster children, for our biological children. And we did it for a period of six years. We kept the foster children on average two years because the children were not going to go home again to their natural family. We got them when they were about 16 and we got them through high school so that they could launch into the world. And um, so we kept them for about two years. And over the years, it was about 23 that we got through. So we couldn't do everything, but we did what we could during those years. And it was actually a great experience. Wow, that's fantastic. Hey, Michelle, in October 1st, uh, 2021, just a few days ago, Governor Newsom in California issued a mandate that will force children in public and private schools to be vaccinated with no testing alternative. So in your opinion, what, how do you view this mandate as far as going for the children now? It's absolutely unconstitutional, and I think it's important that your, that your listeners also understand that when the clinical trials were done on the vaccines, they specifically excluded pregnant women. They specifically excluded children. So there is no data. To put, in, to put an illegal mandate like this on families and children in particular with no way of escape is a draconian move that would never survive a court challenge. So this is my advice to people. I recommend that people resist immediately and say that they, they won't uh, put their children through that. Private schools need to say we will not be in compliance and then have a class action lawsuit that files claims against the governor personally and against the government. The government cannot force people to take vaccines. And people should also understand that the Pfizer vaccine that was supposedly approved is not the vaccine that people are being given. It's actually something different than the vaccine that is given. So there is no approval and people should resist and say no it will fail in court, and then we have to band together and find substitutes, alternatives. So uh, if a child is in a private school, they should remain there. The school system should not comply with this unconstitutional mandate, which violates moral conscience, but also can uh, put children at risk physically in the future. We have no idea what the long-term effects are or even the short-term effects. No one should comply with that mandate. 
You know, one of the issues that always comes up when we discuss uh, vaccine mandates is why wouldn't we just have a testing regimen for people that didn't want to be vaccinated? So one of the reasons that stories like this really sort of capture the interest of so many people is they're used to, at least in other circumstances, and especially if they have medical or religious exemptions, they're used to having an, an option of testing, much like the mandates, quote unquote, that are going into effect in some large cities do allow for showing of a negative test. What makes this venue different? I mean, you know a little bit about of raising kids and taking them to school and how uncomfortable it is for young people to wear masks. Why wouldn't testing be a viable option to, to parents and to kids that just didn't want to get the jab? Well, you're right, Wendy. Testing is a viable option. And uh, for those people who've had COVID, I've had COVID before. Um, I took a new test that's out. It's a sophisticated blood test. It's commercially available. Um, it was made commercially available in July. It is covered by insurance. I think the cost of the test is about $250. So the real issue here is immunity. Do people have immunity against COVID? We, we effectively have achieved herd immunity in the United States. No one should despair. No one should lose hope. People should be very hopeful. You can take a test that shows if you have the antibodies, if you have the antigens. One such company is a company called Aditext, A-D-I-T-X-T. Again, A-D-I-T-X-T, Aditext.com. Go to them. Take a look at their website. I took this blood test. It showed that I have robust immunities. I have a high level of antigens. So in other words, I'm good to go. My body knows how to fight this off. I'm on a plane every week. Certainly, I've been exposed to people with the Delta variant. I haven't been sick a day since I had COVID. So clearly, I have full immunity, and I have no need for a synthetic vaccine, nor do I have need for a booster shot. I spoke with PhDs who have run the labs at Mayo Clinic who have said, if people can show from their testing that they have robust immunities in their body, it actually could be dangerous for them to layer on a vaccine or layer on a booster. Because if something like that would happen, that could put a person's immune system into overdrive. And essentially, there's the potential of pushing them into autoimmune diseases, which means your body is thrown out of whack and your body is unable to fight off diseases naturally because they're put into overdrive. This is an extremely dangerous mandate that can hurt people just from the initial vaccination. We know that from the VAERS reporting system of an unusually high number of deaths from the vaccine and adverse reactions and injuries to the vaccine, but also from people who already have immunity. And if they layer on these additional vaccines and booster shots, could, it could put their body potentially into permanent harm going forward. Why would we do this to adults? Certainly, why would we ever thinking of, think of taking such a monstrous action against children, children of whom almost no children die from the COVID vaccine? This is a recoverable vaccine, or this is a recover a disease from which many people recover from. If people get COVID and they take the therapeutics that are available to them, very cheap, um, formerly they were readily available, 
uh, and doctors can recommend them, whether they're hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, uh, ZPAC, uh, the, the various alternatives that are available right now, very cheap and very highly effective from the studies that are out there. I also would like to mention Israel had done conducted two studies, and Israeli scientists showed that people who have natural immunities to COVID, one study said are 13 times greater protected than synthetic vaccines. Another study said that people with natural immunity to COVID are 27 okay. times more Michelle, protected. Michelle, I love, I love this. Let's end it there. I think that's great. We're up against a hard break. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, we want to thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you to uh, our listeners. We will see you next week for more of Today with Dr. Wendy. Have a good one. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com